0: And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci Fi for Me Radio
1: is live from the bunker.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another round. Live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here. I'm the editor at sci fi for me.com. And it is Tuesday, my last day for the week. Mrs. Boss will be in here tomorrow taking over, and then SB the Every Fairy will be here Thursday to offer questionable life advice. We do have an update from Mitch Breitweiser. Talked to him a number of weeks ago about Red Rooster. It looks like fulfillment on his crowdfunding campaign is about to start next week. So any of you who are waiting for that, that's going. And of course, the hype train is rolling for the Snyder Cut. We are on a lot of different podcast players. iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, Apple Podcasts. I still keep wanting to say iTunes on that sometimes. Double twist, tune in, Stitcher, and listen notes. And of course, we've got all of the social media and the newsletter. I do uh, want to encourage everybody to sign up for that. And speaking of the uh, the 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 Snyder cut, uh, fans have been very active in getting that thing done, and I'm sure that everybody is very excited about it. I personally am thinking, well, I'm curious to see what it looks like. I'm not super hyped about it, but it does raise a question because there are a number of fans who are just as enthusiastic about Stargate. So let me ask one of the producers of Stargate, Joseph Palazzi, Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Do you think... Because uh, I every now and again, I see uh, discussion online, people talking about a revival of Stargate. Now, don't, Brad Wright's been working on some stuff. You've talked about a little bit of things. And I look at what's going on with the Snyder Cut. And I'm convinced that without HBO Max having to be a thing, that the Snyder Cut would not be a thing. And I see discussion about... MGM possibly being for sale, and they've got all of this stuff that's going on with that, and they've got this franchise that has the potential to be a moneymaker for them that they're just sitting on. Is there a possibility that some kind of a Snyder Cut-like fan movement for Stargate could be out there and might make a difference in maybe just kind of kicking this logjam apart?
1: You know, I think it already has. Um, we had two huge tweet storms we organized a couple of years ago, um, and up till then, things had been very quiet on the Stargate front, and then, coincidentally or not, a couple of months after the uh, initial tweet storm, uh, we received word that Brad Wright was in talks with MGM uh, about developing a new a fourth Stargate series. Uh, most importantly, uh, a fourth series that would, would exist within the Canon created by the preceding three, uh, shows. And so, uh, Brad has been working on that for a while, but, uh, COVID and the pandemic just kind of shut things down. Right. Uh, I mean, LA was just shut down for pitches all, uh, uh late fall, winter. Uh, there was a log jam of, of shows in production. So, uh, things slowed down in that respect, but, uh, Brad is still actively pursuing a, a, a new Stargate. So um, at this point, it's it's just a delay. It's 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 uh, it's not bad news at all. It's it's simply um, you know a a, a weird situation uh, that has yeah. been caused by the pandemic.
0: Now, with Brad working on that, is that anything that you're involved in at this point, or you're doing your own thing? Because because you've gone on and done Dark Matter and Sanctuary and and. Are you still in that Stargate loop?
1: Uh, I am. Uh, Dark Matter was mine. Sanctuary was not. Uh, But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I speak to Brad on occasion. I'm not involved in the creative. um, So this is all Brad's baby. Uh, And if and when the series uh, gets a green light, if Brad reaches out and would like me to participate in any way, I would be thrilled to do so. Um, otherwise I, uh, I, uh, eagerly, uh, await word like the rest of you guys.
0: <laughs> so what was it like? Well, I'll throw, throw back a little bit to your beginnings in Stargate. And then I want to circle back to the difference between the movie and the series for a second. But to mm-hmm. start with, you came on board Stargate, I believe in season four. is yeah. that right. right? So how was it integrating into the already, well-oiled machine and, you know, was it hard to settle in easy to just kind of slide in there and be part of the team?
1: It was only difficult in so far as I was leaving my life behind on, on, on the East coast to resettle in the West coast in a city. I, I knew no one um, except for my then writing partner at the time, Paul Mully. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned well-oiled machine and that's what Stargate was after, You know three full seasons they had worked out all the kinks and really they they were a well-oiled machine i mean it was a very positive work environment um one of the things i always say about stargate is that um uh it was it was very unique in that it was very supportive atmosphere uh, Brad Wright was very much of the LTS school. Life's too short. If, uh, if <laughs> an individual was heard was difficult to work with, would not want to work with them. Because, I mean, television production is hard as, enough as it is, and you don't need to work with jerks. And so right. he didn't suffer fools. And so it was a very positive work environment and something that I brought to Dark Matter when I, when I did my own show. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, it, was, it was tough moving to a completely new city, but um, the people were great
0: and on Stargate and then again later you you've done a lot of writing and producing and now show running what's the what's the biggest challenge among all of those different hats that you have to wear do you do you find it um easier to do one over the other when you're doing more than one of those on a particular job
1: uh, you know show running is a lot more work as as the title implies you're essentially running the show, you're overseeing everything from scripts to art department builds, to costumes, to casting. Um, But I find it more satisfying in that you have more control over the finished product. Whereas if you write the script for an existing show, you write the script, and potentially you were rewritten rewritten by the showrunner. At that point, it's really out of your hands. Uh, so show running is really what I prefer to do um, just so that I can, I can get as close to my final vision as possible.
0: And speaking of which your next project powder mage, how much of, of your vision is going to be there versus what's in the books? Because we look at, we got to look at adaptations of things. Sometimes it's kind of, hit and miss on how faithful something is to the source yeah. material. How important is it to you for, for that
1: to be in place? For me, it's extremely important to be um, faithful to the source material because at the end of the day, that's what made whatever the book pos- uh, the, the book popular. Uh, that's what the existing fan base is looking forward to. So I made it a point as we were moving forward on developing Powder Mage that we reached out to Brian McLennan, who's the author, Of the books and i've worked very closely with him um we discussed right now we were just putting together the pitch the series overview um and and just kind of a game plan for season one and you know envision season one as really the first book in that series and talking through characters with brian and and he signed off on on all the written materials so um we're putting together the pitch and the next step is really going out and and you know, hopefully landing it somewhere, either be a a streamer or, or, or a broadcaster.
0: When you talk about planning your pitch now, and you mentioned how the pandemic has affected all of that, does it impact... What's in the presentation, I know it's going to affect how you present it because, you know, odds are you're probably going to be doing something by Zoom or Google or, or some kind of a video call as opposed to sitting down in an office and doing it in person. Uh, I read somewhere somebody had done a pitch uh, not too long ago and the, the camera on Zoom had stopped working. So all he had was just, you know, being able to tell it in 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 the audio, and was able to sell it that way. But those those technical challenges can sometimes get in the way as well. Are you adapting how you pitch projects now in in this in this reality we're dealing with right now?
1: I mean, like like you said, creatively it doesn't really make a difference uh, because this series is set in sort of an alt alt world reality. Um, and doesn't really touch on the pandemic. Doesn't really touch it. Whereas if you're working on a contemporary series, that's something you have to weigh. Do you want to tell a pandemic storyline? Do you want that to influence your your, uh, your show? Um, so creatively, it doesn't affect the pitch. In terms of the the mechanics, as you said, um, I'm not going to be jumping on a plane to fly to LA to pitch it. I'll probably just doing it uh, be doing it via Zoom. And to be honest with you, I actually find it easier uh, to be able to sort of just. Do a one-on-one via Zoom. Uh, you know, obviously, besides the the, the travel, it's, um, it's you know, it 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 allows you, I think, to focus better, and um, it also allows you to potentially consult your notes without uh, anyone uh, being any the wiser.
0: <laughs> I can certainly empathize with that. I have I have a few things spread out here myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so going back to the idea of being faithful to the source material, when you're talking about Powder Mage. Uh, there is the source material for Stargate. You've got the movie. Mm-hmm. And we've heard rumblings for a number of years that Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin were working on a new movie that would ignore all of the television. Mm-hmm. And some fans are sitting there kind of scratching their head thinking, why would you do that? And and, and because both projects would launch from the same starting point. hmm when you hear something like that, is that, I don't want to say normal, because to go back to a movie franchise, you know, 30, 40 years after the original is not entirely normal. I mean, we've just seen, you know, Coming to America 2 just dropped and has not been met with very positive reviews. Some of that because it's been so long and the expectations are so high. Do you have concerns if Stargate as a television series comes back and then there's another Stargate project as a film that has nothing to do with it? Would that create an issue for anyone?
1: Um, I don't think that's likely to happen because I think it would create confusion um I've always you know the opinion that um obviously when you know the franchise has been off the air for for what has it been, like eight years now? Or Something more? like that, yeah. And um, obviously, when, if you want to create a new series, it's a series that primarily will be an introduction to new viewers. So it has to be a jumping off point for new viewers. On the other hand, there is a huge pre-existing fan base that um, you will turn off by ignoring Canon or, you know, doing a reboot. So we re- I think the best of both worlds would be a series that, like I said, is a new series, you know, potentially a, a new team, uh, and yet at the same time it offers us uh, um, easter eggs in the forms of, let's say, a, a guest spots by uh, a, a Rodney McKay or a Samantha Carter, and as the series, this new series develops and we begin to expand the mythology and, 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 and lore of this series, we can start to connect it back to the previous shows and maybe answer some of the outstanding questions that uh, fans have been wondering about uh, for, for many years.
0: Why do you think MGM has been so hesitant to pull the trigger on anything new with this? I mean, you did, the, there was the web series for a little bit, the Stargate Origins that was there for a little bit. It was a short, short web series, but it almost seems like MGM doesn't really know what to do with this. And I, and I, I think it speaks to a broader uh, a broader issue because you look at what's going on with Paramount and Star Trek, and I've been reading some of the behind the scenes books from Mark Cushman about the development of Star Trek over the years, as the you know the series and the animated and all of the movies and whatnot, and I get the impression that since the beginning of the sixties, you know since the sixties Paramount has never understood Star Trek and i have to wonder if mgm is kind of in the same boat with stargate that they really don't know what they've got.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that would that be kind of a, a fair assessment or am i am i reaching? Uh
1: no, that's a, that, that's that's a fair assessment. Um um oh sorry. Um i'm i'm i don't want really to get sure. you in trouble. No, 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 no. <laughs> i, I I mean, I can't speak to you know to what sure. MGM strategy is. I, I think they're being very careful. I think uh, Stargate is a crown jewel uh, in their uh, sort of um, you know uh, uh, you know in their library. So they want to be very careful about how they proceed, and and that I think is a large part of it. The other part of it is that they, MGM has been going through so many changes over the years. Yeah, that. I suspect that something will get started and then someone else will come in and, and, and things will get shelved for a while and then they'll start something and then they'll be get, you know, redirected to something else and then they're out and then someone else comes in. So I think that had a lot to, to do with it too. Um, but I will say now, I mean, I, I'm heartened by the fact that Brad has been in talk with MGM and, and he has been moving forward. So that I think is a very good sign.
0: Uh, Assuming that that Brad brings you back in, what would you like to see happen with a new Stargate? Well, I'm sure that you've been noodling some ideas of some different things that y'all could try.
1: Yeah, I mean, not, to be honest with you, not really. I mean, if anyone's going to, develop a new series. It's it's gonna be Brad or, or or Robert who are the um, you know, the showrunners on and, and the co-creators on Atlantis and and, and Universe. So um, I mean for me, what I loved about Stargate was the, the tone, kind of the mix of action adventure, the mix of humor and and the themes of, of com- camaraderie and family that are at the heart of the show, that I think are at the heart of really great sci-fi like the original Star Trek and, and something I've like had to do on Dark Matter. And it's something that Brad did so well on the previous incarnations of Stargate. So that is really more than anything what I want to see. Nothing, I'm not looking at specifically any creative uh elements that I'm looking for. Uh, but specifically for me, it's more tone and theme that 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 I that I that I, I really want to see that.
0: I, I remember when Dark Matter premiered, and I was struck by the chemistry that everyone had from the very beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even in this, in this place where nobody, nobody remembers who they are, nobody knows who they are, they don't know each other, they don't know why they're there, but the interactions with everybody and the way that the personalities bounced off of each other, it really felt like you had hit that precise mix that you have to have with a, with a good size cast in order to make mm-hmm. that show work. And of course, sci-fi being sci-fi, you know, they let it go for two or three seasons and, and now it's done. And I, I imagine there's probably a certain amount of frustration with some of that because it, especially with that network doing it over and over and over again, you got, you know, just as the show hits its stride, just you know, in general terms, we saw it with Eureka, we saw it with Warehouse 13, yeah, and and then Dark Matter and some other ones. You know, they're they're canceling Oneota Erp now, and it's only been four seasons. It almost seems like the network gets to a certain point, and then they go, you know, we're going to rethink our commitment to this, just because you know, it it almost seems like they're. I don't want to say they're scared to keep going. I know it costs money because these science fiction shows, you know, the effects budgets being what they are, they start to get really expensive. Is there a chance of Dark Matter landing somewhere else? I know it's been a while, but could we see a revival of some sort at at some point?
1: I would say anything's possible. Um, Ideally, I think it would take the form of a miniseries, sort of like Farscape did with uh, *Peacekeeper Wars. Sure. Um, The challenge would be, obviously in 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 finding a buyer uh, a home for the new miniseries but also in uh, bringing back all the cast um, and then creatively coming up with a a, a jumping back point for right. the series since it's been I think what is it three years since since, uh, since we finished up
0: it just seems like you we get we get something we like and we I see this discussion online a lot is is. Why we can't have new things is because these things get canceled mm-hmm. right as they're getting, you know, they're getting on their feet and, and they're finding their audience. You know, you look at Star Trek The Next Generation taking, you know, two or three years to really settle into what kind of mm-hmm. show it was. And it almost feels like nowadays genre shows are not being given that chance to fully, you know, come into their own before the network decides to pull the plug, I mean, we're seeing commitments over in the CW for multiple seasons for their, you know, their superhero shows, and of course, Supernatural went 15 mm-hmm. years. But for the most part, especially when it comes to the Sci-Fi Channel, it seems like they don't want to just—they don't want to fully commit. Mm-hmm. It's—it's got to be frustrating for the people who are making these things.
1: It's frustrating for the people making these things. It's just... Frustrating for the fans. Um, I've always been of the opinion that when um, you put something on the air, you enter sort of an unwritten agreement with your viewers where they support your show. So, um, you know, the least you can do is if and when the time comes, you offer closure. Um, You know, whether it be in the form of a movie or a, or a, um, a miniseries, or even a heads up to the production team that this will be your last season. Um, you know, I think it's it's unfair to leave the fans uh, hanging, and it's it's frustrating for you know for, for us, especially me, creatively. Since in in specifically with regard to dark matter, I had a five season story planned, and uh, I I you know I knew what I wanted to do for season four. In fact, actually, we we'd broken the first half of season four. Um, when we received word that uh, we'd been canceled. So, yeah, I mean, very, very frustrating. And and I guess it is also a sign of the times, like you said, in the past, shows got more time to prove themselves. Whereas now it's, you know, if you're not gangbusters out of the gate, then your fate is sealed. There's one thing that, you know, one of the networks always said to us is, uh, uh, if you can keep your audience past your third episode, then you've got them. So, you know, a lot of the time it results in, I think shows that are so, I guess, frenzied out of the gate uh, that they're almost overwhelming or on the other hand, um, shows that those first three episodes are just, you know, so front loaded and amazing. And then when you got past that third episode, right. you know, the. The quality kind of drops.
0: Um, yeah. Well, and, and it and it calls to mind uh, what's going on with Batwoman, for example, where you have this show that now has a commitment for a third season, but the ratings continue to be so abysmally low, and nobody's you know the the numbers are clear, especially at least as far as linear viewing. Nobody is watching this show. And you have to wonder why it keeps getting this commitment. And I keep thinking to myself, well, it's getting social media buzz. Is that is that the new currency? You're talking about, you know, frenzy out of the gate. Everybody's talking about, oh, how great this is, how great this is. And it almost seems to me like the ratings for some for some networks, the ratings don't matter as much as the buzz. If people are talking about it whether they're watching it or not, seems kind of immaterial. Is that?
1: That actually is true up to, I guess, a certain point. And it really depends on, on, you know, like ratings, demos are very important in terms of who's watching the same, I think applies for who's discussing uh, it online. And certainly I think buzz can certainly save a show. I mean, I, I can't speak to bat, uh, bat woman, bat woman, but I mean, I've never, I, I've never watched the show. Neither has anyone um, so else. I, 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 so I don't know. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's not, I'm not passing judgment on the quality of the show. I'm sure. just saying I don't really uh, know sort of what the decision is. Although in in, in the case of um, is it on the CW? Yes. Yeah, I mean, so the, you know, CW has a has a you know a relationship with uh, a long standing relationship with WB, um, and so. I'm sure they're willing to give their shows more leeway to prove themselves. I mean, in in the case of of, uh, Stargate, for instance, I think uh, when Showtime first picked it up, it was with a 44 episode uh, guarantee. So they had two seasons uh, right off, uh, uh, you know, right off the bat. Right. Um, So I guess it really depends on, 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 of the working relationship between the broadcaster and the production company that's one of the things that goes into it ratings are always very important um you know social media uh score is also important but I think to a kind of a lesser extent I just find that as time has gone on uh, ratings have become less important I think not to the industry, but to people in general. I mean, right. especially in the case of genre television, especially in the case of science fiction, where your audience is more tech savvy and able to watch it online. So why wait till Friday night to watch it uh, when you can, you know, just download the episodes, let's say Saturday, and and uh, you'll watch it at your leisure. Um, and that's something I kept on trying to point out, but the networks don't really care because they're they're still operating under this uh, kind of quaintly antiquated uh, Nielsen uh, uh, model and watching kind of their 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 viewers seemingly bleed away yeah. whereas in reality uh, part of it is the fact that they're just watching it uh, another way
0: I remember I was working for uh, an ABC affiliate oh this probably would have been... 20 years ago now and we went through a workshop on how the Nielsen books work and we were in a small, you know, 125th market, real tiny, tiny market up Northwest Missouri. And I was struck by the fact that in one County you had one guy with a Nielsen diary. And so he was Mm -hmm. representative of the entire County in that DMA. And I thought this, this system, there's no way this thing is accurate. It's completely yes. broken. But now you've got other options. You've got streaming. You're talking about, you know, possibly, you know, looking at a streaming model for, for some of the shows that you've got in, in development. Mm-hmm. And then there's also stuff like I don't want to say YouTube, but you know, online, you know, straight video to consumer, whether it's YouTube or Twitch or Vimeo or setting up another channel of some sort that kind of delivery is out, out there and accessible to so many different people. Is that, yeah. is that the, where you, ha- is that where you want to go, where you think that everything's going to go?
1: I think so. I mean, one, one of the issues is in the past, when uh, people weren't watching it, you know, on TV, they're watching it online, but they were pirating it. So they didn't have sources like, uh, you know, a Netflix or, or, or other streaming opportunities. Now, um, you know, even in the case of sci-fi, they were able to offer kind of a streaming window for for shows. uh, So they were able to monetize it that way. Um, And I think that is kind of the wave of the future. Um, I mean, you know, we were talking about it as far back as Stargate, but it's one of those cases where people talk about it and talk about it and talk about it all the time. And after a while, you become kind of like desensitized to it. And you're like, sure, sure, sure. And uh, it's like crypto. Uh, and then suddenly, bam, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's the new reality. And I think that's what's happening with, uh, with television streaming and, you know, alternate uh, viewing habits.
0: Well, and I think there's, there's some impact as well with, uh, with Comic-Cons, with conventions and events, because, you know, with the lockdown, I think people are also realizing that some kind of virtual component to the event is worth a discussion and part of the plan because you have now people who are not going to want to get out into crowds and the accessibility, the global accessibility where you have now something like a TopCon con pop expo that only pulls in 1500, 2000 people in, in Topeka. Now, if you're online, you can bring in all sorts of people from everywhere and it's the same is the same as with TV shows where you know assuming that it's not geo-locked you have a way to get access everywhere and broaden your audience reach
1: yeah i mean it, that's exactly it and 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 like i said uh, it, or like you said because of the pandemic you know people have adjusted many people have adjusted the way they socialize. So they may not want to go to the crowded cons. Um, I will say this though. uh, If, and it's not not just convention organizers or broadcasters or anyone, if they can find a way to make money doing something different, they are more likely to do it. And, uh, and that's going to be the case with, with virtual cons.
0: That's the, that's the trick, isn't it? It's, Mm-hmm. it's finding finding a way to monetize it to to a point where it's it's worth doing all the time. I mean, there are so many YouTubers out that are doing the kind of thing that we do or you know, they're angry responding or they're reviewing or they're, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's been an explosion of those. But at the same time, if YouTube just decides, "Oh, we don't like your channel. We're pulling your monetization." Then the whole thing collapses out from under them. So it, it is a balance. You have, to, you have to find that mix, and we're still looking for it ourselves here. But I don't know that anybody's found that one golden ticket model for making this kind of thing work. I mean, certainly using tools like Zoom and, and, and OBS and broadcasting software and whatnot makes it easier. But it's that challenge of finding an audience to make it worth doing all the time. And I guess it's the same thing with you know making a new TV show. You have to find those eyeballs. You have to bring those people in. Mm-hmm. So the marketing strategy, I would imagine, probably has to change a little bit too, depending on how you're delivering your program. Would that be Would that be an impact? Are you guys finding that you're using social media more? I mean, you're on Twitter.
1: I mean, yes, absolutely. I think I think um, production companies and broadcasters are, are, are very much all over kind of the social media. Bandwagon. I've actually been in, uh, been online or, or really interact have been interacting with the fans for um, I think like twenty years now. In fact, actually, when I first got the Stargate, one of the first things I did was went online and sort of checked out the various uh, uh, fandom boards to see sort of what they liked about the show, what they didn't like about the show, and uh, it's just something I've, I've kept doing. I do it like a daily blog. I've been blogging now for. 13 or more years and haven't missed a day. And uh, uh, I keep a fairly uh, active social media presence on, on Twitter, especially, and, and, and Reddit as well.
0: So where did, uh, where uh, did Baron Destructo come from?
1: Well, you know, I, I've always been a big fan of villains, Uh, (laughs) especially the James Bond villains. I'd always be like, ah, you know, why don't you just kill James Bond instead of like putting him through those elaborate traps (laughs) at the end of the, uh, at the end of the movies. Um, and if you see pictures of me on set, I'm always in the, uh, the three piece suit. And I always think, you know, if I was a James Bond villain, how would I dress uh, and uh, <laughs> dress accordingly? So I've always been a fan of villains, especially the super villains in comics. My uh, my avatar is uh, is mysterious, you know, and the uh, okay. parent destructor was just like a suitably, I think, nefarious name. I thought uh, perfect, perfectly suited to me.
0: I'm, I'm wondering now how you sign your production memos because I look back at some of the stuff that uh, Gene Kuhn and uh, Bob Justman did during the production of Star Trek and the, the hyperbole that they would use and the sarcasm that would be dripping from those memos as they're talking about you guys are killing me with these scripts and we can't do this and this and that and the other and I'm so you know stressed about this and you, y'all are driving me to our earlier grave add all of the sarcasm in those memos. And now I hear Baron Destructo and I think, I wonder what those production memos look like.
1: Yeah. I think one of my favorite things on uh, working on a production is, you know, we'll often get network notes and uh, I usually respond with what I call notes on notes, um, which is basically, (laughs) I mean, I, you know, I, of of course, uh, production, television production is a collaborative process and, and, uh, you know, executives want to ensure that it's the best possible uh, product. Um, but you know, th- there are notes that that will help improve uh, a script, and then there are notes that are kind of sideways steps that are sort of arguable. And there, there's no, there are notes that that uh, I will vehemently disagree with. <laughs> um, and so, you know, one, one of these days, I'm gonna. I, I kept all my uh, uh, feedback, uh, network feedback then I'm going to sort of uh, gather along and uh, maybe I'll publish in the book
0: someday. <laughs> that would be fun. Because uh, I don't... Uh, Mark Cushman, you know, I mentioned him before with the, with the Star Trek books. He's had access to a, a mountain of uh, memos from the Roddenberry archives and from the networks. And he actually got access to the Nielsen data. I mean, he's he's been able to, co- uh, to to collate so much information about these shows. I think it would be fun to see something like that on all of the Stargate productions, for example, because I know a lot of people were upset because Atlantis got canceled in favor of doing universe. At least that's the, that's the understanding. Yes. Because budget is, is what we've heard. What were, what was the reasoning behind that? Because it's,
1: you know, well, that's a good question. I mean, I don't really know the reasoning and um, Paul and I were show running Atlantis season six, and we had broken the sixth season. So if the plan was to end Atlantis, to cancel Atlantis for for Universe, we wouldn't have gone through all the work. And personally, I would have, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, budget wasn't really an issue because you, um, uh, you know, I mean, we ran SG-1 Atlantis, uh, at the same time, right? I, I honestly thought the best strategy would have been to do the same thing: as essentially pass the torch with, the course of let's see a season, to a sixth season of Atlantis, along with the first season of Universe. Pass the torch, uh, but of course, I'm not. I, I'm not the decision maker. I wasn't the decision maker back then, <laughs> um, and so uh, the, the cancellation came as uh, as a surprise, frankly, to, to 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 Paul and I, who were showrunning running Atlantis at the time, and. I mean, we're happy to go work on, on, on Universe, uh, but uh, we were incredibly disappointed. And I can honestly tell you, I was in the production office. There was no uh, you know, decision by the team to, to end Atlantis for Universe. But of course, I mean, the optics are, are, are bad. And if, it's, if that's one of, the, one of the things that I argue to the network is I said, if you cancel us at the same time that you pick up Universe, the optics will be bad. Yeah, and the optics were bad, and and I think that was you know one of the reasons why a, um, there was such backlash against against universe uh, when it premiered.
0: We've been going through. Uh, I I, I call my wife Mrs. Boss. We've been going through the Stargate series. We finished we finished SG one. We're now uh-huh. in uh, season four, I think. Uh, when when Amanda Tapping came on as a regular. So I think that's fourth fourth season, and uh, Which was always
1: a regular.
0: Well, as far as like in the in the title sequence, where when Amanda was on Atlantis as a regular.
1: Oh, Atlantis. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm yes, sorry. Yes. Yeah, I sorry. wasn't. I, I, wasn't sorry, I thought you, you said SU one.
0: No, so we're we've gone through all of SU one. We're in Atlantis, and I'm. I'm, I'm looking at some of the differences in the production value, the production design and, and, but the mix of, of characters. You talk about that, that ensemble, that, that chemistry between everyone. Was there a particular reason to bring Amanda in over anybody else? Was that a, was that a creative decision? Was that a a behind the scenes decision?
1: You know, it was, a, it was, a, well, it, every creative decision is a behind the scenes. of decision For and, sure. and really that that's what it was. Um, it was either going to be her or Woolsey. Uh, but just Amanda made more sense just because the fans knew her from from SG one. And to be honest with you, it, it was something that, you know, I, I kind of always wanted to do really bring either her or Daniel over to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And um, and we just approached Amanda about it, and 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 she said yes. So yeah, we did it, and then she, you know she got Sanctuary, so she went off to do Sanctuary, and we needed a new commander, and that's when I reached out to Bob Picardo, and uh, and uh, he became uh, the leader of the Atlantis expedition for the show's uh, fifth and final season.
0: Now you mentioned Sanctuary. Uh, one of the things that has struck me about that particular show was how innovative it was in the beginning with the green screen. I mean, cause that thing started as a web series and then sci-fi picked it up and, and most of it is a virtual set production it is something that had not been done to that extent until then. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking now at shows like the Mandalorian, which is using the, the unreal engine game game software and you you're in this, Basically, this big giant sphere of LED screens. You have technology changing the changing the landscape of production again, and you, you have to be thinking as a producer. You know, I would imagine you're salivating at the possibility. Oh, well, what could I do with this? Because now you just create this environment and you can manipulate it in real time right there, and you're in this world without ever having to go out on location. Mm-hmm. What kind of impact would that yeah. have on one of your productions? We, any, anything that you've got coming up that you've looked at that and said, that's how we should do this show?
1: Yeah, I'm not at the point really where, where um, you know, I'm looking at, at something like Unreal Engine and what, what they do. Um, first, I have to sell the show. Uh, but certainly in terms of opening up, let's say, Alien Vistas, Alien Worlds, that the potential for that is, is unreal. Um, I think the only kind of knock against it is, is kind of the interactive elements. I mean, you can't really interact with, with, uh, you know, with, this is essentially your, your backdrop. Right. Um, but I mean, in, in terms of a completely alien world uh, environments that you can create, it, it, it's kind of mind boggling and amazing. to think what we could have done with it back in on SG one, where I'm sure, you know, in the end, we would have probably visited a lot less forested planets, <laughs> and uh, you know, a few more of uh, exotic locales.
0: I think one of the things, looking back at it and and seeing just how much tongue-in-cheek humor there was poking at itself in Stargate, um, yeah. especially with 200. Uh, 200. was was so much
1: fun. Yeah, that was a uh, that was our craziest episode. I remember, we were pitching, we were spinning the ideas and uh and i think rob rob cooper he just pitched it as a show as an episode called remember when and it was just them reflecting back on these crazy stories and i was like well you know i, I think we need more to it than that and then uh <laughs> that's when we, we came up we brought marty back from uh from wormhole extreme um and we could do kind of a fun show within the show and could poke fun at all these other shows that came before i was a huge farscape fan so i i, I did the farscape parody and uh and uh, yeah, I mean, one of the great things about Stargate was the sense of humor, and you know, I always say humor goes such a long way towards allowing uh, audiences to connect with characters. Like the character of McKay uh, is a fan favorite because he's he's, he's a humorous character. Yeah, um, you know, in Dark Matter, um, you know, our android is humorous in her own unique way, and, and she was you know Zoe Palmer uh, was a, was a fan favorite for that. Um, so. You know, I I find a lot of contemporary sci-fi tends to be very dark, very grim, very dour. Um, And I mean, it's beautiful looking and it's great and and I could probably take it in small doses, but I think really um, it's it's surprising how executives can't see the the kind of the allure of uh, uplifting positive, Sci-fi, like, yeah. you know, the original Star Wars, the original Star Trek, um, like Stargate, like Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: There is a there is a word that's been bandied about lately. Uh, a number of science fiction writers have been picking it up. Superversive, basically to harken back to those pulp adventure days where things were. You know, you still maybe have bad guys and you have terrible things happen and whatnot. But at the end of the story, things are still a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more optimistic. You know, the good guys win. You know, the damsels in distress get rescued. This dystopian stuff that we've got now, uh, you know, we subvert all of our expectations. It it seems like there's this movement among creatives to – kind of get away from the dystopian stuff and go back to historically, what would be the action adventure pulp type of, of story? Is there, is there still value to that kind of, of show or movie or?
1: Absolutely. I think amongst fandom, there is certainly value. I think the executives need to see it, uh, need to recognize it. And I think frankly, given the fact that everybody's been locked down for a year um, just kind of how grim reality has been. I think the darker, grimmer sci-fi fair is going to be falling out of favor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully we'll get some, some more kind of spirited sci-fi uh, in the not too distant future.
0: What's the, what's the future of Utopia Falls?
1: Um, okay. I'll preface this by saying it's not a show I created. Right. It's a show. I, I was a showrunner on R.T. Thorne was a creator of the show um, who, who, uh, when he approached me to showrun, I, uh, I, you know, he said, Hey, I'm looking for a showrunner. And I was like, I can't think of anybody who would be good for this. He's like, no, you, and I was like, I'm no, I'm not, I'm not hip hop. I'm sci-fi. He's like, no, I'm hip hop because you know, he's very much of the hip hop scene. He's a right. music video director. He, you know, um, I directed stuff for Drake and everything. And he said, you're sci-fi. And so I was like, okay, fine. And so, um, I did the show. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but the fact that we haven't heard word in a little over a year, would um suggest it's done i yeah. think yeah well, i mean stupid. in this business is kind of crazy in that um i think in any other business if you apply for a job or, or you know they'll get back to you and say thanks but no thanks in this business you know things haven't gone your way when you don't hear from anybody for a while yeah and uh ghosting is the norm and um in this case i think um um for utopia falls, I think there were a number of factors um that uh um you know led to sort of the ultimately whatever if, if it's a decision or if it was a non-decision. Um you know uh I, you know but uh I, I think it's unlikely uh a uh, Utopia Falls season two is in the cards.
0: Yeah. All right. Well let me ask you this last question because I know you've got another meeting here shortly, but there is a rumor Giant freaking mm-hmm. robot! Mm-hmm. This is their exclusive. Now, mm-hmm. I've I've prefaced this a, a, a couple of times. Gi- it's giant freaking robot. So everybody needs to have salt at the ready. But they're reporting that there is a new animated Stargate, mm-hmm. at least at the discussion stage. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, just knowing knowing what you know, or however mm-hmm. however much you know, and however much you've talked to Brad. Is does this seem like it's a thing, or or is this, this just this, this pure baloney?
1: This seems like absolute nonsense. Uh, for this to be true, it would mean that MGM has been working with Brad for whatever uh, a year and a half to get a new series off the ground, and then has gone behind Brad's back and not told him that they have actually gone and uh, are in discussions to close a separate deal with uh, Netflix to do an animated series that presumably uh, will discount the existing canon um, and um, and potentially undermine his attempts to get his show on the air. So right. that's what that rumor tells me. And I think, so for that reason, I believe it's extremely unlikely. <laughs> but I mean, who knows? I mean, it is it is Hollywood.
0: Well, and we're getting a Terminator anime series over there. So it, you know, it's one of those things. Was like, well, I guess you could do an animated Stargate. I mean, it it they was like one.
1: it was Stargate, Stargate Infinity.
0: Infinity, right? Mm-hmm. So you you could do another one, maybe. But why would you want to if you've got all of these people that are ready to to relaunch and go live action? Let's do that.
1: I will I will point out that that one Atlantis and Universe were somewhat more popular than Stargate Infinity and. <laughs> you know for that reason i think really they, they they should consider going the live action route
0: yeah i i would i would tend to agree with that all right so the website if you want to uh, get a hold of joseph's blog here josephmalazzi.com and he is also on twitter as baron destructo so you can check him out there and uh, joseph thank you very much for spending the time with us today we definitely want to have you back
1: I would love to be back. This was a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you very much. And uh, we will let him head out to his other meeting there. And for all of you uh, that are still uh, still watching but you haven't subscribed, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. If you've got feedback or you've got suggestions for guest people that we could invite on, uh, you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me com. Coming up later in the week uh, tomorrow, Mrs. Boss will be sitting here. She'll take over because I am going to have to be out at the Big Twelve basketball tournament for the rest of the week. I have no idea how that's gonna go. Uh, but Mrs. Boss will be here tomorrow. And do you have a do you have a, an idea of uh, your topic, Mrs. Boss, have we have we discussed what you're going to discuss? Conventions. Okay. So she's going to riff off on, uh, because we had talked last week about some different things going on with conventions. She's going to pick up that thread and continue and uh, share her thoughts about the convention scene. And she's got some advice for those of you who are designing websites for conventions. So you want to tune in for that. And then on Thursday... SB, the Every Fairy, will be here dishing out more questionable life advice with another fairy piece session. And then uh, I've been talking to Mr. Harvey. We did not get a chance to do the H2O podcast last night, but we are going to make the attempt to get a new TARDIS sauce in the can this week, or maybe we'll see. I don't know. Uh, So that's uh, in the works, talking about Doctor Who, and possibly what the return of BBC three might mean for the franchise because BBC three was where they ran Torchwood. So that's coming up. And uh, then of course on Saturday morning, we've got a brand new good morning multiverse that'll have the headlines for the week. And uh, we'll also have an interview with Lee Matthew Goldberg about his new book and uh, all of that's coming up. And of course, that one I won't be here for as well. Mrs. Boss will be anchoring that show, so be kind. Come in, watch the show, give her a thumbs up like you would do on your way out for this show. So we do enjoy uh, doing this, and we're uh, glad to uh, glad to provide this programming. We want to make sure that it's something that you enjoy, so if you could give us some feedback, uh, either leave a comment or – uh, at least a thumbs up, share the link to any of our stuff if you will like. And we will do this all again tomorrow here on Sci Fi for Me TV. Thanks for being here, everyone. Uh, don't forget, we do want you to sign up for our newsletter. So you can go over to scifi4me.com and sign up there, or you can sign up in the show notes here. And also check out our Twitch channel. We're trying to build that back up after reactivating it. We're currently sitting at 80 followers. So if you're on Twitch, uh, then uh, you can follow us over there because we are going to start our watch parties again at some point for those of you who have Amazon Prime accounts. So there is all of that. And we're done for the day. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a
1: presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent
0: of Flaming Dog Media.